Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is October the 11th, and our chapter for today is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Without any pun intended, it is the love chapter and the most loved chapter for many throughout the Christian world. That is, it is the chapter that tells us about the love of God and personifies the person of Jesus in the attributes of love. Now, I want us to understand that just like everything else, there is a context of 1 Corinthians 13. Remember, the Apostle Paul is answering questions that had been written to him about various subjects. We've just covered a few of them, but there were many that were written, and they demanded answers from the beloved Apostle. When we come to chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, that is all one unit in the Greek text. Chapter 12, they ask the question, what about the spirituals? What about the pneumaticon? Not the charisma, not the charismata. That's one word for gift, the grace gifts. But these are the spirituals, the spiritual gifts. How is it that we enact and how are we enabled to do what God wants us to do within the body of Christ? So tell us about the spirituals, the spiritual gifts, as you will see it written in your Bible. In chapter 12, it says, now concerning spiritual gifts. You'll notice gift is not there because that was added to help us to understand the meaning of what the question was about. Paul said, now you've asked me about this, you've asked me about that, you've asked me about the other, now you're asking me about spiritual things, about spiritual gifts, about this aspect of God enabling and giving a supernatural divine enablement or endowment to do the will of God to build up the body of Christ. Now, Paul, tell us about that, because you know what we've been doing, and Paul said everything you doing is wrong. So in chapter 12, he deals with spiritual gifts in general. Now, remember, there were no chapter verse divisions in the original text. So chapters 12, 13, and 14 are all one unit in the Greek text answering Paul's question from the Corinthians about spiritual gifts and how they are to be enacted and how they are to be observed and how they are to be carried out within the body of Christ at Corinth. And so what we call chapter 12 is all about spiritual gifts in general. And so he talks about those, how they are given, how they're distributed, all of the things that you want to know about spiritual gifts. A lot of those things are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, what we call 1 Corinthians chapter 14 deals with two specific gifts, the two speaking gifts, prophecy and the gift of languages. And we know what the gift of languages is, and the only place where we know it is and what it is for certain is in Acts chapter 2, where God gave the early disciples, the early church, the supernatural ability to speak a known language that is a spoken language that they had not previously studied. But it goes beyond that. Not just glossa, not glossolalia, the ability 
ability to speak a language, a known spoken language somewhere in the world that we have never previously studied. That is a supernatural endowment and ability to speak that without previously knowing it. But it goes beyond glossa, glossolalia, speaking a language, to dialectos, speaking a dialect. You see, this is what we need to understand is that every people group and within every people group, there is language, yes, the ability to converse with one another, but there's also dialectos. Even within the various languages, there are dialects. That is a certain way to say something. A certain way to say a certain word, a certain phrase, a certain letter, a certain diphthong, or a combination of letters. Now, why am I saying that? Because this is important because this has to do with speaking in tongues. This has to do with glossolalia because the only clear place we have where it is crystal clear what it was was in Acts chapter 2 on the days of Shavuot, the day of Pentecost, where it is so clear as the nose on our faces that this was the supernatural ability, a supernatural endowment and enablement to be able to speak a glossa, a language, and a dialect within that language by men who had never previously studied that before. And it was a supernatural revelation that this was of God. It was a validation of the message they preached. And so that's in the book of Acts chapter 2. So when you come here, Paul talks about this in chapter 14, and he talks about what prophecy is, what it's not, what speaking in tongues, what it's not. And when they do speak in tongues, there is to be an interpretation. Why? Because there may be some there that speak the language and others that do not, and this supernatural endowment by God to speak a foreign language, then someone has to interpret the other language, what's being said to the other people who are there, and both the interpretation and the supernatural enablement and endowment to speak this language that one had never previously studied is a witness to all through not only the speaking but the interpretation. And so the Corinthians were very selfish people. I mean, all you have to do is read through what the chapters we've come so far, the first 11 chapters, and these people were eat up with themselves. It was all about them. And Paul said, as a matter of fact, when you come together, everybody's got a word to speak. Everybody's got a word of knowledge. Everybody's got a special to sing. Everybody's got a word of testimony. Why? Because it's I, 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 I. This is the way that many churches operate. Paul said, this is not the way to do it. It's not about you. And what we learn is that in the middle of the greatest passage, the longest passage on spirituals, on spiritual gift, on the pneumaticon, on the charismata, on the grace gifts, the spiritual gifts, this is the longest passage, what we call 12, 13, 14 of 1 Corinthians in the Bible. And what is in the middle? What is sandwiched around the middle? The greatest chapter on love anywhere in the Bible. Why? Now, listen to me. I'm going to tell you just like it is. The more gifted, the more wealthy, the more divinely enabled a congregation and a person is, the more they must operate in the spirit of love and humility or everything they do will be in vain. 
That's right. The greater the gifting, the greater has to be the saturation of love. Now, what is love? Love, as you know, there are four words for love in the Koine Greek. There's the word eros, where we get our word erotic. That's a totally self-consuming love. That's not the love of the New Testament. That is a person who is only seeking to satisfy themselves, whether it's sexual love or whether it is any other kind of expression of affection and feeling. It's totally consumed with that person. Then there's the word storgos. Now, I'm giving you the noun forms of these. The verb form would be, for instance, storgeo. And a storgos is usually referred to as a natural affection. And in the King James Version of the Bible, for instance, it would be astorgos, uh, that is, without natural affection. And without that natural, what is natural affection? It's the natural love of a man for a woman. It's the natural love of a brother for a sister. It's the natural love of a woman for a child. That's natural. That's natural affection. In other words, there's nothing supernatural about that. That's how God made us. I mean, even the animals do this. Certainly we as human beings made in the image of God would do that. Then there's the word phileo. Phileo is usually teamed up with another word in our language, like adelphos, the word for brother, and then phileo or philos. Phileo is the verb form. Philos is the noun form. And it is a love. Now, listen to me. It's not brotherly love unless it is teamed up with the word adelphos, which is the word for brother. Phila, philos, and adelphos means brotherly love, a love of a brother, brotherly love. That's why Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. But phileo or philos doesn't mean brotherly love. It means love, love which is based in happiness or pleasure. When you trace this all the way back, as far as you can trace it, you're going to learn that phileo or philos has to do with pleasure. It's an action towards someone else that's based in pleasure. What it says is, I will treat you well as long as you treat me well. I will be good to you if you're good to me. If you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. As long as you bring me pleasure, as long as you make me happy, I'll be with you. Now, as a pastor, I can't even tell you. I don't have fingers and toes times two to tell you how many couples in 47 years that have come to me and said, I want a divorce. Well, why do you want a divorce? Well, they don't make me happy anymore. I'm not happy with this person anymore. Well, the design of the Christian marriage is not to be happy. As a matter of fact, there's going to be a lot of times you're not going to be happy. If you're getting married to be happy, then you're getting married for the wrong reason, because I'll tell you, there are times of happiness and there's times of unhappiness. There's times when you feel good toward the person that you're with, and there's times that you feel ill toward the person you're with. (gasps) I can't believe that you're saying that, Pastor Tony. Aren't we to love? Well, yeah, we should, but the reality is we don't. There's times when my wife and I have been married 44 years that we don't like one another, and we're mature enough now to say, I don't like you right now. Would you go to the other room? (gasps) I cannot believe that you're saying this. Well, believe it. This is real life, folks. But you see, the goal of our marriage is not to be happy. The goal of our marriage is to please God and to be holy, to be what God wants us to be. Do we fail at that? Yes, both of us do. Have our children seen that? Yes. And they made it. You know why? Because God's grace is greater than our sin. 
God is able to take even our mess ups. And if we'll turn and humble ourselves and say, children, now the way we were acting toward one another is not the way that God wants us to act toward each other. And would you please forgive us? And children then see the example of how to be reconciled and how to repent of sin. So God even takes our mess ups if we'll respond correctly and brings good out of it for our good and for his glory. But then there is the word agapao, that's the verb form, agape, which is a love. Listen, it's, it's in our language we say it's unconditional love. Well, that's true, but it's much more than that. Love, agape, is a love that's based in the character and in the choice of the one doing the loving rather than in the attitudes or the actions of the one being loved. Now, so you don't have to replay this, let me say that to you again. Agape Agapao, I love, that kind of love is a love that's based in the character, the very nature of the person, and the choice, the volition of the person who is doing the loving rather than in the attitudes or the actions of the one being loved. In other words, it's almost the opposite of phileo. Phileo, Philos says, I'll love you if you treat me well. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, if you are only good to those who are good to you, if you only salute those who are good to you and you salute them back, if it is a tit for tat, then listen to me. Jesus said, what do you do more than others? What do you do more than lost people? What do you do more than the religious person that does not know God at all? Nothing. No, he said, this is why you need to bless those who curse you. Pray for those who have used you. Do good to those who have abused you, who have been ugly to you, who have persecuted you. Ask Corey Tim Boom about it. Does that mean that we do that with great joy? No, no more than I believe when Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't think he was dancing and clapping and raising his hands when he said that. I believe he had his head bowed and his and tears were falling like rain from his eyes because he had lost his children. He had lost everything that God had given him and he was broken, but yet he lifted his heart toward heaven and said, blessed Oh, God, are you that give? And yes, blessed are you, oh, God, that takes away. What I'm saying is it takes supernatural divine grace in order to love people who are unlovable and unloving toward us. But after all, that's what God gives us. It's the supernatural divine ability to love people who are unloving and unlovely. After all, this is the love of God in Christ Jesus. But God demonstrated, God showed, God commendeth. Whatever word you want to use, it means that he showed it without any kind of reservation. For God demonstrated his love toward us in this way, in while we were yet sinners, while we were shaking our fist in the face of God, he agaped us. He showed agape, Romans 5, 8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the way God demonstrated his love. How do we show the love of God to our brothers and sisters? We love them when they're unloving. We care for them when they're uncaring. We reach out to them. Why? Because that shows that we're his disciples. Jesus said, a new instruction I give unto you, a new commandment I give unto you, a new mitzvah I give unto you, something I want you to do and listen to me. 
I want you to agape one another. I want you to love one another in the same way I've loved you. And if you have this kind of love one for the other in the same way that I've loved you, by this will all men see that you belong to me when you have this kind of love because this is the mark of the identity of the child of Almighty God that we love in a supernatural way. When the Lord Jesus was dying on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. Oh, they think they're doing right. Oh, God, have mercy. Forgive them. That's the kind of love that's supernatural. It's not natural for that to happen. It's supernatural. And the more gifted these Corinthians were, the more they had to show the love of God. Why? Because Paul said to them, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Why would he say that? Because people were elevating the spiritual gift of tongues like that made them more spiritual than somebody else. It doesn't. You can preach the stars down. You can speak with 15 different languages that you've never studied before in 15 dialects. But if you don't do that, saturated with the love of God, it does not. It does not sound like anything but sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And he said, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, these are all gifts, so that I could remove mounds but have not love. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. You say, well, what does that word nothing mean in Greek? Zero. Nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, that's on the gift of love, and that's on the gift of giving. You can have all of these gifts. He said, it profits me nothing. And then he goes into the characteristic of love. Love has a long fuse. Macrothumia suffers long. It's a slow burning. It doesn't jump up in somebody's face the moment something doesn't go their way. It's kind. Kindness has just about left us. Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit is not evident in our lives. Kindness is a fruit of the Spirit of God. Whatever happened to being kind? Love does not envy. It's not always going after what someone else has. It doesn't parade itself. It's not showy. It's not puffed up, braggarty. does not behave rudely. Oh, my soul, men, we have lost the genuineness and the gentlemanness, if I could say that, of not behaving rudely, of being a gentleman. Does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. All these other things will fail. He said, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I lived like a child. But when I became mature, when I became a man, I put away all of this childish stuff. You see, maturity is not going through a 12-part series on discipleship and all of a sudden you're mature. Maturity has to do with your intentional walk with God and living in repentance and obedience and confession and walking in obedience and repentance and confession and obedience. It is through vicissitudes of life, shifting here and there, moving here and there, that God matures you. It takes time and intention. And you learn to walk with God in love on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at Tony C 
crisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.